Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad, and with me is Benjamin Hunting. Say hi, Ben. Greetings, everyone. Ben and I are automotive enthusiasts. We're lovers of things with four wheels and steering wheels and engines, and they make a lot of noise. Ben, I'm running out of things to describe. Some running out of ways to describe us. What would we're you? We're also we're also journalists. Um, we also of own course. cars. How do I miss that? <laughs> you miss it every time. Uh, we have we also own cars with manual transmissions, which is somewhat of a rarity, I think, in this world. But we don't hate people who drive automatics, which I think is another rarity. Um, we have no politics when it comes to uh, gearbox choice. You're right, Ben. We're very tolerant of all people in no matter what kind of car they drive. It's and, wonderful. And I think that kind of segues us into how we were going to kickstart things this week because we both drove very interesting cars that both have automatic transmissions. Uh, I I was behind the wheel for three beautiful days of a 2017 Nissan GTR. One second, Ben. My, your, your description of beautiful days and my description of beautiful days might differ. Uh, what was on the ground when you were driving your GTR? Okay, well, not, not every... <laughs> I mean, meteorologically, the days were not ideal. Uh, I had, I think, one and a half clear days, and then I, I took... The, the, the first day I had the car. So, uh, disclaimer, I've never driven a GTR. Um, I am an automotive enthusiast who's just never had the chance to get behind the wheel of one, although a lot of the lapping and uh, time trial clubs I run with, GTRs are, are thick on the ground. They're very popular at track days. Um, and for me... It's funny because I remember the, the the first impression I ever had of a GTR was being on the track with one. I think it was in 2010 or 2011. And I was standing with a group of instructors. And one of them went by on the front straight sounding like holy hell because, I mean, they they sound incredible at full throttle. And one of the instructors turned to the other and said, Burp, biological intervention detected. Burp. And then everyone cracked up. <laughs> <laughs> because the 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 feeling at the time was that Nissan had come out with this incredibly quick missile of a car and then uh, slapped a bunch of nannies on it and made it super fast because of all the technology that was inside of it and you didn't really have to drive it to go quickly. Um, this was my first chance to disprove that and physically get behind the wheel and see how much of a video game-like aspect the car had compared to other performance cars at its price point. And I was pleasantly surprised. Um, I was ready to feel like I had gotten into the, you know, the, the front seat of a spaceship and I was surrounded by all this amazing technology that made the car go super fast that would leave me feeling cold. Mm -hmm. And that's not what happened. Uh, okay, so give me your first impression. You look at, for, first of all, the first impression is the way it looks, the way the size of it, right? The size of it plays a lot into it, and that's something else that fueled my misconceptions about the car. I I got in I got in the car. The car weighs more than my Cadillac does. Yeah. I mean, that's in my car. The Cadillac's almost four thousand pounds. So I immediately thought, oh, this is going to feel like a heavy car. It's going to feel like a large car, and it doesn't. It doesn't at all. And that's an amazing achievement, especially considering it's all-wheel drive. And I find that. A a lot of heavy all-wheel drive cars, they're quite numb because of the just the weight of the car over the front axle with the engine and everything you add and all the all-wheel drive gearing. It 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 adds up to an equation where I'm not going to get a lot of road feel. And that really wasn't the case with the GTR. At no point driving it did I feel like it was huge, and it is. Uh, at no point did I feel like it was heavy, and it is. Um, that was astounding to me. I was not prepared for that. I was also very impressed with the interior. Uh, 2017, it's not the same car it was. Mm -hmm. They've really put a lot of effort into leathering everything up. Um, 
adding uh, as much, you know, luxury gear as they can get into the car and still have it, you know, hang out in the performance segment. Although I will say there were no heated seats in the car I was driving, which is always a sad trombone when it's like October and it feels like it's December outside. Um, what about the, the, the central uh, sort of center console? They cut down the number of buttons and it's, it's far more minimalist and, and easy to look at. It's, it's beautiful, I think, inside. It's true. You know, I, I looked at the center console and I was like, okay, this is where I'm going to find all the doodads that are going to engage system A, system B, system C, and all the stuff that makes it go fast. And there's really just that single line of toggle switches. Yep. Uh, and you have, two, you have three positions and that's it. And that's yeah. really, really easy to use. And unlike some car companies, the launch control system on the GTR also super easy to use. All you have to do is make sure the transmission is in R mode and the traction control is in R mode and then bam, it's on and it's on all the time. You don't have to do a weird like secret handshake behind the steering wheel to get everything to work. And uh, Yeah, like, it's, not the Konami, it's not the Konami code back there. It's, it's, you're, you're right. And I appreciate that because there's a chance maybe you'll use it on the street. I mean, most launch control systems, to get them to work, you're going to be left at the light if that's what you're doing. Uh, And even on a drag strip, trying to line that kind of thing up with the tree and get everything timed properly is an art in itself. So well done, Nissan, on on making the uh, launch control system much more user-friendly than some of its rivals. But uh, yeah, I I ended up driving the car uh, through the mountains to uh, my parents' place on Monday night. And it, when I say through the mountains, the elevation, I mean, it's, we're not talking the Rockies here, but it does climb and uh, the rain turned to snow <laughs> and I was on summer tires. Yeah. And I was on summer tires in, in the GTR with a friend of mine and the car started moving around on me uh, underneath. You could feel the tires squirming as they got stiffer and just they, they weren't they weren't really gripping the road. I really had to back off on the speed. Uh, it wasn't really the car's issue. It was entirely the tire's issue. It never felt dangerous, but I was very aware that I was driving. And that's the thing. I mean, I was getting feedback from the car that was telling me, hey, you need to slow down. You need to be careful. You need to be doing something different. And I didn't expect that. Yeah, I totally understand what you what you mean with that. Uh, a lot of people were, you know, the, the early... Re- the early reports of the R35 or the, the current generation GTR is that it's numb, that there's no, there's no engagement. And after my experience with it last month, I'm, I, I can't quite um, confirm that. I think it was still a blast to drive, and it, it does talk to you. And it's extremely quick, too. Uh, I, oh. I, I will say there is a bit of turbo lag. I do notice the lag. Um, a bit. It's, it's like up to like three or 4,000 RPM <laughs> is when everything just like kicks in. And then it goes. It goes. It, just, it goes. Yeah. Like, it's insane. It's, 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 you know, the, the cliche is that it's like a train where acceleration is just continually linear. And that's exactly how it is. And you get the engine noise, but you also get turbo noise at the same time. And you can hear the acres and gallons and hectares and parsecs of oxygen that are just being inhaled through those nose, nose scoops on the uh, hood. And it's 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 exhilarating, um, and it's frightening, and it, everything happens very very quickly. But I will say this: while you're traveling, let's say you were to drive one of these cars very fast on the autobahn at an autobahn legal speed, it feels very much like you're driving 100 kilometers an hour or 65 miles an hour. This the car does not feel frenetic at the limit, mm-hmm. and I'm and not that I ever even came close to approaching its limits, um, but. I did notice just how calm and collected and serene the cabin was at all times, and that was impressive as well. Every time, yes, you're right. You drive. It's it's like it. 
is unbelievable how how calm it is when you're driving at uh, high speed. Now, the question I had is, did you do what I did, which is like every time no, you went into no, a I didn't. I didn't. every every time you went into a turn or something like that, you would kind of like ease onto the gas a little bit sooner just to see how the car like just dealt with it. And of course, every time it dealt with it, it was like, yeah, sure, let's go. Well, I I actually I had my father drive the car. Uh, Anyway, I, I had my father drive the car a week after he had also tried the S63 Cabriolet. And the cars are almost identical power-wise, I believe. I think it's very, very close, just under 600. Is that – I can't remember the number for the GTR right now. I know the S63 is 577 horsepower. And it was – they're both all-wheel drive cars and they're both very heavy. And uh, my father, he, he drives on the track as well. And it was funny because he, he says he's getting older and he, he prefers the comforts of the Mercedes. And he liked both cars, but it was interesting to have his different perspective on which car he would buy if it was his money being put down. And he, he liked the GTR, but he didn't, you know, the seats were a little tight and it's very low. And just compared to the Mercedes Benz, I thought it was kind of a neat juxta- juxtaposition. And no one's cross shopping these cars. I mean, no, that's not what I'm suggesting. But uh, yeah, it was, it was it was a fun exercise. I like I like getting people's opinions who don't drive the cars every day like we do, and aren't as jaded as we are about you know what's available. My only disappointment with the GTR is uh, my biggest disappointment with the GTR is the way it sounds. I don't think it sounds as as great as you put it. It's very mechanical sounding. Oh, I like uh, it. I think it's the character of the car. I think it feeds into. I mean, the GTR is a vehicle apart from. I, what, what I like about the car is that Nissan showed up to the supercar party with a huge technology club and just mm-hmm. beat everyone to death with it. You know, it's <laughs> it's like when it's, no, it's true. I mean, no club. It, you're, it's you're a making techno it sound club. like it's not not oh, not an item. It's an actual club. <laughs> well, hey guys, <laughs> if you think about it, I mean, Dodge did the same thing with the Viper when they brought the ACR. They brought they beat everyone up with ground with downforce with downforce. Right. They're like, hey, here's here's g- tons and tons of mechanical grip, and we'll give you a bunch of downforce too and we, we know this engine kicks ass and yeah it's he, he, we're gonna kick sand in your face and ne- when nissan did it they used technology like here's an amazing all-wheel drive system that will make you a hero even if maybe you're frightened to death of just how fast this car is right so i i like that it has sounds like a machine that it sounds mechanical but i will say this does it sound any more or less machine like than say a 993 911 because that thing sounds a bit like a sewing machine at full throttle <laughs> that's true you're right but that's an old car now i mean uh, so then, it's o- so it's okay. It gets a pass. Is that what you're saying? Well, yeah. Now we're now we're used to some really wild sounding cars. I think. Well, we're used to some very fake sounding cars, and I didn't get that impression from the GTR. I, I that turbo sound. I mean, it's hard to fake the the sound of rushing air. It pipes it into the cabin. It's digital. The, the the air sound is digital, not just the, the engine sound. The engine, I believe, the engine sound is, is is digital. I'm not sure about the the turbo and the yeah. You're right. The whooshing that that. What about the that. screaming of my passenger? Is that digital? <laughs> it, yes, it is. It it put when when you're starting to to go a little too fast, you can you you start to hear that a little bit more too, right? The car got a lot of attention too. I had um, people you know taking pictures of it in parking lots, coming up to talk to me about it. That doesn't happen with every vehicle, no matter how exotic. Uh, and that that kind of leads me to I wanted to ask you. I know the car that you had is equally rare, um, and it also oh, attra- right. it also attracts a very specific demographic. So I was wondering, did you have anyone talk to you about the uh, Polestar that you were driving last week? Uh, n- nothing but auto journalists. Uh, everyone <laughs> everyone loves the very. I had the Volvo V60 Polestar. This is the 2017 model with the drive e motor, which. Um, is really interesting. It's a two-liter four-cylinder engine, and like yours, has some forced induction. But instead of two turbos, it has one turbo and a supercharger. <laughs> wow! 
Wow. I mean, I've driven I've driven the Polestar, but the previous generation that had the very different motor, which is uh, a turbo inline six that's transverse mounted. Oh, yes. man. And that was that was cool. It was definitely cool. And it sounded neat. Um, but the, didn't you, do you do you recall what your thoughts were on that? Because I had uh, both the S and the V60 of the previous uh, model with the different engine with the six cylinder. I liked. And, I I mean, I liked the car. I thought the transmission really let it down. Um, it was an older. I believe it was a six speed automatic, and it just. If you wanted to shift it yourself, it wasn't any fun. It was just mm-hmm. better to leave it in automatic and have fun with it that way. I thought that the car really could have used uh, maybe that ZF 8-speed um, that's floating around that everyone seems to take home from the prom. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I, I like the car, though. I, it's a fun idea. Uh, I've always, I'm, you know, as, as you are, I'm a big wagon fan, so... Uh, I don't know if I'm a huge wagon fan, but it was very useful. Uh, I took it, uh, I loaded up full of uh, gear and clothes, and uh, and took it on a, a week long trip, and um, it was it was extremely useful. But speaking of the transmission, this model now has an eight speed instead of the old six, and I feel like this one is much more responsive, eager to change gears, uh, especially in the in the little manual mode. And I find myself preferring that over the uh, the the sport mode. Um, oh yeah, and this thing sounds so cool. Um, one of the biggest fears, I think, switching from a six-cylinder to a four-cylinder is the way the car will will lose its sort of character. But yeah. then this car also has a turbocharger and a supercharger, so it's making noises that are so <laughs> strange all the time. Um, but the way it revs up, man, that was that's what caught me off guard. It it really does. Um, it starts off really nice and smooth, and then just boots right into to redline, and it's it's really amazing. Well, I mean, I've driven that engine in the um, XC90, the the right. giant giant SUV that is basically the same setup, and I found it was decent power for a vehicle that heavy. So I can only imagine it's way way better when it's been tuned to you know scoot around a tiny wagon. Right. This is now 367 horsepower, 349 pound feet of torque. Um, it it really is so much fun. But you know what? The suspension is another uh, really important part of this car with uh, Olin shocks and. And um, uh, I, I, I'm telling you, this thing was was stiff and very sporty. And the, I mean, I drive a sport, a sporty car every. What do you drive, day. Sammy? Tell people what you drive. Oh, we're doing this again. Or dri- I drive a, a Scion FRS. All right, we just and, had to get that out of the way. All right, and it's stiff. Okay, I get that, and I'm used to it. And you drive, you drive some stiff cars too, don't you? Hey, I, I don't want to talk about it. Okay, well, this thing I actually think is stiffer than than my car. Um, and it's it's crazy, man. The 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 feeling you get through the steering wheel, through the through the chassis is, is I wasn't expecting it in a Volvo of all things. Well, and you know those shocks that you mentioned, they're they're ten way adjustable, right? I believe. Right. Yeah. But they're they're manually adjustable. You have to have it up on a lift, I think. Interesting. Okay, I don't have my lift, Ben. What, 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 what am I gonna do? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you have to call your Volvo guy to take care of that. Right. But I remember you saying to me when you were talking about the car, there was one thing about it that disappointed you. And I believe that it, you saw it as soon as you opened the door. The What, the interior? Yeah. Oof. Oh, what a disappointment, especially after being in the S90 and the XC90. Um, this has the old school. This has the old school interior. Um which includes a dial pad on the center console. That's and in case you're you're getting you're going to send a fax to 1989. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, I wish I had T9. Maybe that would be useful, right? Like I could maybe enter it as a uh, in my navigation um, destination. 
the other thing is the screen is about is is small is definitely as big as my smartphone, which is not that big. <laughs> it, it really it really lets down the car because it's a good car with a subpar interior. And you know, this is semi off topic, but I, one of the first things I thought of when I got inside the XC90, that car is gorgeous inside. Mm-hmm. It, it is unbelievably gorgeous. And I thought if you're in the Volvo showroom. And that's sitting beside any other car in their lineup. At the time, the S90 hadn't come out yet. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the difference is astounding. And I don't know how, as a salesperson, you're supposed to bridge that gap by someone who buys an XC90 and says, oh, hey, I want a car for my my husband. I want a car for my son. I want a car for my daughter. And I go back to Volvo and I look at the V60, which looks great on the outside. And then you get inside and you're like, what is this? <laughs> you know, because it's, it's so different from what, Volvo sells at the high end. Anyway, it's always struck me. Well, you you're making a great point. I can't wait for this ha- to get the modern um, interior that the rest of Volvo the the rest of Volvos are, are or sorry the upcoming Volvos are getting. That S90 is amazing. That XC90 is so cool. I mean, I don't know if I'm sold yet on the uh, infotainment system, which takes a little bit of getting actually quite a lot of getting used to. Quite it's a like lot not- of getting used to, especially if you're not a fan of tiny fonts and mystery menus. And mystery menus. That's exactly the way. I mean, you think they're they're swiping left and right. There's scrolling up and down, and I don't think scrolling up and down is something that you want to be doing uh, while driving. That's when you need to know if you've passed whatever option you're looking for. Exactly. I, I completely agree. But um, I'm telling you, this this Polestar, though, is like, it feels old school in this way, in this one way, and really engaging, and I did not expect it to be like this. And you know what? It's so exclusive. Uh, it, it has this gorgeous exterior, um, bright blue, uh, rebel blue exterior. It, it, it's unlike anything else you're seeing. It's, it's going to get attention and the way it sounds. Uh, and I do believe that they're in limited production as well. I know. I think I don't remember the exact numbers. It's between 50 and 100 that are coming to uh, the United States anyway. I don't the know. Wag- how- are you speaking about the wagons or Polestar? The that's Polestar total, S&P? total, total Polestar uh, production for North America, I think. Yeah, that's intense, man. And I can't believe I, I can't believe I had the opportunity to drive one. Uh, well, you know. Yeah, I'm just trying to think of a segue. Oh right, a segue. I drove some pretty other, some other interesting cars this week. Why what else? And why? Them? Why did? Why did you drive those interesting cars? Well, I, I'm a part of uh, AJAC, which is the Automotive Journalists Association of Canada. And oh, you're every, Canadian. You're Canadian. I keep forgetting that. Right. I know. Sometimes I'll say the word Mazda or the, the name Mazda, and uh, I'll probably throw in some MPGs or MPH numbers or mile per hour. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm still here in Toronto, and you're over there in Quebec, and. You know, we're still we're still Canadian, despite the fact that all of our content is targeted towards the U.S. the U.S. audience. Should we continue talking about this weird um, thing, or should I just talk about my co- just, the cars that I drove? I think that's enough context. Okay, perfect. Uh, I got I had the opportunity to drive some cool cars as part of the Ajax uh, annual test fest, which is how we uh, test all the brand new cars this year um, and help determine what the Canadian car of the year will be. And so, 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 well, if you had to pick a top three of what you drove at this at the AJAC event, what would that be? Okay, the top three uh, cars that I had the opportunity to drive, which uh, and I did drive, sorry, um, include the CT, the Cadillac CT6, which was, which is really modern for for Cadillac. I absolutely did enjoy it quite a bit. Um, I had the opportunity to drive the. Sorry, I keep saying the opportunity. I actually drove. <laughs> I actually drove. Uh, the the Maserati Levante S, um, and I also drove the brand new Subaru Impreza, which was interesting because it's on a new platform. 
So why don't I give you a quick uh, scoop on those cards? Um, we'll start with the Cadillac CT6, and this is the new um, high-end sedan from from Cadillac. It has a really nice interior, and it has a twin-turbo V6 engine, which puts out about 400 horsepower. This car is 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 like a tech. It's like a is a rolling computer. It's awesome. Uh, the size of that infotainment system, which is still using Q, and I think. Q isn't quite perfect, but when you hook it up to your your smartphone and you have probably the biggest Android Apple or uh, sorry Android Auto or Apple CarPlay display that I've ever seen in a car yet, it's massive. And you pair that with the OnStar 4G uh, Wi-Fi, and you're you're streaming music, and it's got a 34 speaker sound system. I was I was in heaven while I was driving this car, and it drives really well. <laughs> yeah, it's a very it's a very competent car. That's for sure. It's it's definitely world class. the The only questions I have surrounding that car have to do with how many people are going to buy it. Um, given the fact that the small or sorry large sedan sales are shrinking, especially in the in the luxury sector. You're right, and you know what? There's there's some far more luxurious car. This cars out there. This still feels like a. It feels like that German that kind of German esque. Um, sporty style of sedan like executive sedan where it still gives you this uh, this this feel and um there's a bit of you know stiffness a, a little bit of feel to the sorry i said that already um tell us more about the feel how the feel. feel let me tell you about the feel you know you can just close your eyes and touch this car and you know exactly what's going on no um the suspension is is kind of stiff when you put it into the sport mode and uh you'll really enjoy kind of hustling this around uh some windy roads. In comparison, I also had the opportunity to drive, sorry, I did drive the <laughs> Genesis G90. Excellent which, car. Very, very good car. Okay, yeah. The quality of this car, the interior quality of this car is top notch. All of the, all of the um, switch gear, they don't budge. They don't move. They're like, they're like in place. They click so nicely. Oh, you want to talk about feel? That's what I'm. That's what I'm looking for right there. It's incredible, and and what I love about Genesis. So for those in the audience who are not familiar, is Hyundai is spinning off its Genesis cars, uh, the the Genesis sedan and the Genesis coupe, and they're creating a, a sub brand, a luxury sub brand that will just be called Genesis, and they're getting a bunch of new cars too. And th- this is actually this car is the evolution of what was the Hyundai Equus, which um, was a very very limited production full size sedan uh, luxury car that Hyundai sold. Over the last couple of years, so but it's it's not an EQS with a different badge. It's this is a very different car. It's been thoroughly re- redesigned, and yeah. wow, um, Hyundai is throwing a ton of money at Genesis. Like this is Hyundai is a huge company. They do a bunch of different stuff, not just cars. And as a result, they can spend their way into whatever situation or position they want to get into, and they're doing it right with Genesis. Uh, not only do you get crazy, sexy, beautiful, luxurious cars. But you also get like a ridiculous um, concierge service. If you buy the car, you never have to see a dealership. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll just come pick up your car, drop off another car that's identical to yours, and then do all the maintenance and whatnot that needs to be done. It's they have like they have like service uh, genies. They like it's just going to happen, or service. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, angels that just do stuff while you're not while you're not around. They're like exactly. looking over your car. It's amazing. It's amazing. Uh, and, and 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 I think they're when I drove the Genesis back in August. I had the chance to speak to the people who are leading the team uh, to bring the brand to North America. And they said that for them, luxury is about time. And the fact is, time is a limited resource. And anything you can do to maximize someone's time is, is a lux- can be construed as a luxurious experience. 
And I think that that for for people who have more money than they know what to do with, I mean, spending money doesn't necessarily buy you luxury and it's very hard to buy time. So if you can buy a car that gives you both, um, I think that's a, a big advantage. Okay, you know what? You make a, you make a great point, and you said the stuff that uh, that makes Genesis stand out. You don't have to visit a dealership to get your service done. You know, in Canada, you won't even have to visit a dealership to buy this car. Well, there aren't any dealerships. That's there, amazing. It's all, it can be, it yes. can be online. It can be online. Hyundai owns the inventory for this car. You order it online, and it comes. That's insane. They're also they're going to do pop up dealerships though. They'll have a few uh, in malls and whatnot if you actually want to go see the car. It's a very different model from what the U.S. is doing, where the U.S. is actually going to take a percentage of existing Genesis dealers and Equus dealers and give them the chance to buy a Genesis franchise. But it will have to be they're going to share showrooms for a while, and then it will go to a separate brick and mortar for Genesis uh, in the future. And in Canada, they're just skipping that step completely. Okay, um, so the pop up the pop up store thing kind of bugs me. I don't know how that's going to quite work because usually pop up things that are like pop up locations they're they change like every like week or month or something sometimes it's a it's an it's a shop sometimes it's a it's a burger joint sometimes and then suddenly it's just going to be a luxury 100 they're selling 100,000 dollars <laughs> uh luxury cars after it was like this sample sale from uh from uh banana republic or something i know what you're saying <laughs> but i think i think genesis is concerned with there's always going to be a percentage of people who will say i'm not going to buy a car on the internet that i haven't sat in you know like mm-hmm. those those people they might not want a salesperson person coming to their house with the car to show them the car they might not want to meet at a neutral location in the middle of the night in a parking lot to do a transaction of some kind um <laughs> they might be more comfortable with the old school way of i'm going to go to something that looks kind of like a dealership so they got to cover all their bases and i understand that i i think it's an innovative strategy though overall okay uh and before i, I move on to another cool car that I, i've driven this thing the one that i tested was around eighty five thousand dollars um, it drove like a car that was, de- it drove and felt like a car that was well over a hundred thousand dollars. Oh yeah. Um, the only thing that I wasn't, I, they say their 3.3 liter V6 makes only about 365 horsepower. I don't know. It felt like it was much more than that. <laughs> I agree with you. Um, it, it was interesting. The people at the launch that I attended said that, you know, we're keeping the five liter V8 available because again, there's always the legacy customer who says V8 is the only car I will drive. <laughs> Well, that's fine. I understand that. I under- I completely understand that. But the V6 is way better. Uh, it's e- even though it's quote unquote down on power when you compare it to the V8. No, it's it's clearly the superior engine. It's smoothness, power delivery, acceleration. It, 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 I agree with you that it's probably an underrated engine. Okay, and while we're on the topic of luxury cars, I know we just we threw in the Genesis G90 in my from my original roundup of three cars. But while we're uh, talking about luxury cars, I got to bring up this Maserati Levante, which is um, their Cayenne competitor. Essentially, uh, this is a one hundred thousand uh, dollar crossover or SUV. Uh, it uses a twin turbo V six, makes about four hundred. 400 horsepower and um it's very unique looking it looks very sporty so it's it's back that up for a second it's a hundred thousand dollars in canada or a hundred thousand dollars in the u.s in canada okay so in the u.s do you know roughly what it costs Jeez, no i i, I didn't take a look at that uh, that spec sheet uh, but because my, my first thought is if i'm spending a hundred thousand dollars on an suv it better make more than 400 horsepower wow really yes i How, mean what the the um the what does a base Cayenne, the Cayenne what? GTS? Yeah. Uh, what? How much does that make? You want to know? Yeah, uh, that, that's tell that's got to be about here. It is. Oh, you're right. Four hundred, four hundred forty. Okay. 
Let me recheck my numbers what on the Maserati. What does a base Cayenne make? Um, let's see here. I could click around on the internet and find that out too. No, I've got it. I've got you it. You got Don't it? Worry. I've got All it. Right. A base Cayenne is the V6. Uh, it makes 300 horsepower. 300? Yep. And it costs like what? In, six, six, in Canada is 68,900. Okay. So if I'm, you know, I just find that once you cross the $100,000 mark, if you're going after a vehicle like the Cayenne, which is available in crazy ass turbo form, Mm -hmm. which makes ridiculous amounts of horsepower, Mm -hmm. you better have more than 400 horsepower to, to play with. Okay, it's 424. Does that make things any better for you? It makes things a little bit better. A little right. bit better? You got I'll, 24 more, more, more. I'll allow it, but I'm not 100% <laughs> happy. Okay, here's what you're going to like about this car is it feels, um, it's kind of like a Cayenne, but with a little bit more personality. And by that, I mean it has that Maserati sound to it. It has that Maserati look to it. Um, and I think it's going to, you know, it's going to appeal to buyers because you don't see a lot of these on the road. You see, a, I think you see in, in high-end uh, neighborhoods, you'll see a lot of Cayennes. Yeah. Yeah, I don't well, think you, this is going to stand out in that way because it's going to be something very different. Well, that's an it's an interesting point because when you said that it's a Cayenne competitor, my first thought was volume because Cayenne is the volume vehicle for Porsche. Yes, the moneymaker for Porsche. The moneymaker. And I doubt that Maserati is going to be selling volume with the Levante. I mean, I just don't see it. I, I don't even think that they're prepared for that. I, I don't think that's what it's it's intended to do. And and then further to your point about how common the Cayenne is in high-end neighborhoods, I think that that's on purpose. I think that people, it's one of those no-brainer decisions. I just got a promotion. I'm going to buy a BMW 3 Series. I just had a kid. I'm going to buy a Cayenne. It's, it's, it's the natural progression for a certain economic bracket. And it's well as no, and there's no, and there's no, there's no place for the Maserati in there. I'm not, it's, I'm not saying there's no place, but I'm saying Cayenne is very established. And if you're a challenger brand like Maserati, um, I think you have to offer more than 424 horsepower to get people's attention. Okay, okay. You know what though? You're right about that. Uh, they're not ready for the volume. Let me tell you why you're right. Because I drove it, and things didn't go quite perfectly. Um. Under the Uconnect, because first of all, the, the infotainment system is the awesome uh, Chrysler FCA um, Uconnect system that we all know and love. Uconnect is my favorite. Bar I know. Bar I know. I know. And uh, under na- underneath that is uh, is a, an array of physical controls, things for the fan speed, the temperature, um, you know, uh, controlling, you know, where the air goes, e- even the volume and tuning knob. During my during my time, my very brief time in the in the Levante S. All of those physical controls stopped working. <laughs> that's, that's, that's no good. That's <laughs> and no good. it was really frustrating. But, you know, Uconnect allows you to change the fan speed through the infotainment system. And I could change the volume of the sound system through uh, the steering wheel controls. So, so you, did but, it, you did it backwards. And so yes. Instead of you had a physical control fail and the digital control came to the rescue. <laughs> that's exactly what happened. And that I would be like stop. if the steering wheel stopped working <laughs> and, you, and this app on your phone was like, don't worry, <laughs> you can still steer with this app. I, I w- the moment I saw that happen, I started laughing because Maserati has had um, some quality control issues, and uh, I've I've been in a in a um, a Quattroporte, and it's um, it's window shade, it's it's automatic window shade that you know goes up and down on a, an electric motor failed during my time there uh, testing it, and uh, I just I've been told that they're not quite up, they don't have any quality control, and this is something that clearly showed in my very short time with this car. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens with the Levante um, 
I think that a lot of these ultra luxury or even not luxury SUVs are kind of an acquired taste style wise and uh, market position wise. And they're, they're up against some real established competitors from, you know, like we talked about Porsche, also Range Rover, um, amazing vehicles. Uh, and at the lower end but still quite nice to drive the escalade does huge business for gm so if you want to play in that uh if you want to play in that pond you're do you think rapper you think rappers are going to buy uh maseratis (laughs) why are you asking me i think that let me call in you have let me call drake and see what he says i don't know that's true (laughs) he's over on our side of the he's on our side of the ontario quebec border i should find out drake what do you think you know what? If I tell him that the zero to sixty of this car is about five point one seconds, I think he'll be impressed. Five point one's not bad. It's it is point one of the zero to one hundred kilometers per hour is point one of a second faster than the Porsche Cayenne GTS. What do you think of that? Well, I think that if if I really cared, I would buy a Turbo S, and then I wouldn't. I wouldn't. <laughs> but that's have like to, twice the price. Once I have a Turbo S, I don't even have to make eye contact with you anymore. It's just over. Yes, you and you're just a, a giant 4,000 pound blur uh, <laughs> on the highway. Um, well, you know, um, speaking of companies that are kind of getting into something they didn't used to do but want to do now because there's money in it, how about that Mercedes pickup truck? Oh, yeah. So let's talk about that news. Mercedes, um, and this is a really cool story, have announced and shown off a brand new concept truck pickup truck they're calling the x class uh and they've got two versions of it it's a concept so bear with me one is called the x class powerful adventurer (laughs) and the other you're gonna love the next one (laughs) you think that's a joke here we go the second one is the x class stylish explorer okay i actually like stylish explorer i think that i think you know here's the thing So Mercedes Benz, Mercedes Benz also offers. Well, you are a style explorer. I've noticed that you. Ex- I am. I explore explored. the same style I've had since I was twenty-one years old. That's what and, I'm doing. And the reason the other one, the you know what, the other one's not going to work so well is because I'm a very meek, not powerful adventurer. I'm what about like the, a weak, meek adventurer? I just. I, what about I the prof- the Professor X class or the X class <laughs> Gambit? I mean, are those going to be? Age, how about Agent X class? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's so those names don't surprise me because anyone who's familiar with Mercedes-Benz knows that they like to offer very interesting nomenclature for specific features. One of my favorites is the perfume dispensers. You can get inside the C-Class, the S-Class, etc. And um, these little perfume dispensers, they, they make it's, it's essentially an air freshener for the cabin. And they all have amazing names. A very like, expensive air freshener. I very expensive too. air freshener. But it's in the, it's in the dash and you, you pop open the glove compartment and it's right there. But they have like names. It, it's not like evergreen or mint or whatever. It's uh, it's stuff like nighttime mood and flow and stuff like that. It's 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 fun. And, you know, why not extend that naming to the to the concepts as well? But it, uh, while we're talking about this pickup truck, I think we should probably be clear that Mercedes Benz did not develop this platform. Yeah, this is actually using the Nissan uh, or Nissan Navara. Did you uh, just say Nissan? Nissan. Have you ever heard it said that way? I believe some people I have. say it. Well, yes. not, not north of the Mason-Dixon line, but yes. yes. Uh, I'm just getting used to my U.S. audience who might want to, who want, might want a familiar touch. <laughs> um, anyways, it's based on the Navara, which is a small pickup truck that's made um, for global markets. Well, small, small as in midsize, right? Mid, yes, you know, like Tacoma I mean, size. Yes, midsize. 
Thank you for correcting me, Ben. Okay. Well, someone has to. This is why we're such good friends. You're always you're always jumping in and correcting me on the size of a truck. I love. Well, it. am I am I really always doing it, Sammy? Is it really always, or is it just when you're wrong? One hundred percent when I'm wrong every time. Okay. Um. Anyways, this, you're you're right. Midsize pickup truck, something to go against the Tacoma and the um, Canyon Colorado, and I guess in, if you're looking at a global market, the Ranger as well. Um. Well, it, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned those three trucks because none of them are luxurious. Yeah, none of them are luxurious. So is and what? who is Mercedes going after? So I mean, are, are they going to be like, is it just going to be a, a market of one, which is entirely possible? They're, yeah. I mean, we're, we're talking about Mercedes here, and they offer a lot of very unique cars. Uh, you're talking about the GLE Coupe and the and the GLC Coupe that's coming, and you've got the uh, the E63 wagon, and you've got – remember when they made the R-Class wagon? That was kind of – I do remember it. the so R-Class. They're the constantly minivan, making – The minivan, right? Not, not the <laughs> yeah. R-Class minivan, not wagon. Yeah, yeah. Okay. These are all sorts of cars. They, they, they do this. They like to make um, cars or – yeah, they like to make cars that just don't have – they don't have a full market for. But <laughs> – this is Mercedes, okay? But at the same time, this is Nissan. And let's talk about that for a second. This Nissan-Mercedes or Daimler-Renault partnership. It, Nissan-Mercedes-Daimler-Renault-Mitsubishi conglomerate. Yes. Because that's gonna, how it ties huge. together. Yes. It, 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 there's no limit to this. And every they, time offered, we, they made me an offer. They, they offered to buy me and yeah? made me part of it. Yeah. You but, were going to be part of the – you're going to be a, a collaborator with Dr. Z but it, they and Mitsubishi, Carl's – Ex- yes, Carlos exactly. Gone? Carlos gone, but then they bought Mitsubishi instead, and I, we walked away from the table. Oh right, yes, you didn't like that. You didn't. Well, it was their dishonesty, really, is what happened. Well, you know, trust is a fragile thing. Okay, this partnership knows no bounds. It's insane. It's they they are they are best friends with keys to each other's apartments. Like that's the way it is. Hey, Mercedes, I really like that uh, that small. Uh, luxury car you have the cla hey do you mind if we we do something like that or the gla yeah do you mind if we do something like that we're gonna call it infinity yeah sure go for it why not <laughs> i think it's cool uh, honestly uh, there's plenty of room in the pickup truck business for someone to come in and be disruptive and i think honda tried to do that with the ridgeline and for whatever reason didn't make the waves that that they maybe could have uh with the very different design that the ridgeline is compared to a traditional truck Mercedes is going to come in with a traditional truck design. I assume that the the, the Nissan design is body on frame, um, but there's plenty of room for an outlier truck. Why not do things differently? Truck companies, uh, they're very, very well established. All of the brands, they do crazy volume. And I know Mercedes would love to do crazy volume too, but even if they don't, uh, it's fun to have them out there. Okay, so here's the question I have for you. This car has, this truck has been, announced to go in markets that are not the U.S. So Argentina, Brazil, South Africa, Australia, New Zealand, and Europe. Yeah, because of the chicken tax. Right. The decision to bring, the, to, to bring it to the U.S. is still up in the air. Yeah. So for people who aren't familiar, the chicken tax is a very, very old law. There was a, there was a pissing contest between Germany and the United States many, many decades ago um, about poultry. And as a result, the United States imposed a tariff on small trucks that are assembled outside of the United States. And it's actually a fairly sizable tariff. And that's why companies like Toyota, when they build trucks, they build them in the United States for the American market. Uh, and if your vehicle is a st- is built outside, like Ford still builds a Ranger, even though you can't buy it in the United States. Mm-hmm. But they assemble it, I believe, in Thailand. So to bring it to the United States, it would be prohibitively expensive. And there's ways to get around that. Um, and <laughs> the most- they do that. Ford does that with the transit 
Connect. The Transit right? Connect. It's called and a they, knockdown kit. <laughs> and they 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 ship it over here, and at the port, they get the windows and and seats and removed seats and, and shipped back. Yes, because you can't you can't have a passenger vehicle, but you can't have a cargo vehicle. Uh, the the most famous example, though, I think, is the the Subaru Brat, which was a <laughs> a tiny pickup truck that they they screwed these plastic seats into the bed in the early eighties. And those seats, they were they had handles on the side that you could hold, like you were like you were on like a, a, on a, a roller coaster or a toboggan or something. <laughs> and um, yeah, that's horrifying. But that's how they got around it by claiming it was you know a four passenger vehicle and not a pickup truck with a cargo bed. Anyway, long story short, Nissan might eventually find a way around this law. There's talk law will be repealed. Um, well, it's kind of Nissan and Mercedes have facilities in the u.s I they understand. do There's whether no... they whether they choose to devote those facilities to building a low margin mid-sized truck um i think that's going to be they're, they're going to wait and see how well it does i'm amazed this doesn't have a sprinter name on it <laughs> is that weird is that like honestly i think they could have leveraged that uh, i think it has a little bit of no. brand cachet no I, not I, as much as mercedes does but... but with the wrong brand i mean they're not trying to sell this truck to commercial buyers okay and then in that case do you think there's a market for this truck here in, in, in North America, luxury trucks yes, are huge. 100%. There's a market. Uh, I don't know how big that market is, but I think that people would buy this truck. People go gaga from everything Mercedes. People so. are people are willing to go to a body shop and have a Mercedes front clip put on their pickup truck anyway, <laughs> which is kind of what you're doing from the factory here. So, yeah, I'd say that there's definitely some pent-up demand for, for this. Okay. Uh, what about uh, what else? What other what other neat news is there out in in the industry? Um, my favorite news of the week is that uh, we got a glimpse, guys. We got a glimpse of what uh, automate automotive disruptor Faraday Future is working on. It's, it's a real car. It's not just a concept or a shadow, which is what we saw in some of their posters, a shadow of a car. Well, we, we've seen an actual car, but it didn't have a drivetrain last year. Um, the one that the, the electric supercar that they brought to a few shows. Uh, That's a concept. It, that No one can even fit in that. I don't well, even think it had doors, man. Well, it, it may not have had doors, but, <laughs> but it, also, it was a it, VR experience. I it, the, the thing is, I mean, doors are kind of irrelevant. But if you're an, if, <laughs> if you're an electric car company... It's got to have an electric engine, and they didn't have that in that in that concept. But now you're saying that they do. Yeah, uh, and so I'm very excited. They they showed a very quick teaser, and they're getting their name out there, which is uh, important for a car for a small car company. And um, things are changing in this uh, in this electric field. And this car is supposed to be uh, pretty autonomous as well. Have some very <laughs> unique autonomous features as well. Well, and, speaking uh, of unique autonomous features, that reminds me: uh, unique autonomous features and things that change. Yeah. Uh, this week there was some quote unquote bad news that I think is really good news. Uh, the guy, George Hotz, I don't know if you remember him. He's a gentleman who claims he created a product that will turn any car into an autonomous vehicle. Do you, do, you, do you remember that happening? It was, yes, I remember that. I was, want my kit to turn my car, not my car, but maybe someone's car into an autonomous car. So it was a $1,000 kit, basically. He called it Comma One. No idea why he called it that. But it, it was he, he's a Honda owner. So he, well, the, come on, I'm not. That matters. The, it it matters. Yes, it does matter. And I'll tell you why. Because the kit only works with some Hondas and some Acuras. So he, that was his development platform. I wasn't trying to make some kind of sweeping statement about Honda owners okay. that you seem to have eternalized. Okay, okay. But um, anyway, so the guy, the guy's done tech stuff in the past. He's like one he's, of the. In- he's quite good. I mean, he, he, he I believe he. he 
he was he the jailbroke the, the iPhone. Yes, he was the first and the iPhone PS3. Then. So anyway, um, and naturally the next step is to is is, to make your own. Yeah, right. <laughs> of course, autonomous cars, right? I mean, why not? I mean, those guys who are sitting in the uh, the phone huts who jailbreak your phone at the mall, they're all thinking about autonomous cars all the time. Um, anyway, so he came up with the system. Um, it, it wasn't something that he, it, it wasn't something that was ready for prime time in a retail sense. Like you wouldn't be able to go into Radio Shack and buy this and put it in your car necessarily, but he was ready to sell it. He was looking for partners, blah, blah, blah. This week, uh, the bloom is off the rose because, uh, he has pulled it off the market, uh, for the foreseeable future and is now quote, pursuing other opportunities um the reason this happened it wasn't because he had a dream that his cars were going to drive people into a lake or something like that it was because he got a letter from the nhtsa the national highway traffic safety administration kind of telling him that hey you can't just come out with this semi-autonomous system that you developed on your own and sell it to people because other people are driving and don't want to die This is this is interesting. This is really interesting uh, because it's a letter from the NIT, from NHTSA that's like, it's like we're kind of concerned about this and we need a little bit more information about yeah, yeah, this, yeah. Like, well, this thing and, you're doing. And, and he and he just did what did he do? Just freaked out. He's like, oh god, oh god, I'm out of here. <laughs> well, I think it was a reality check. I mean, <laughs> NHTSA didn't say, hey, you can't do this, but they probably they, said, how are you doing this? And uh, how are you proving that it's safe? And I think that those two questions require reams of documentation and testing and, um, money and a lot of money. You know, that's that's the thing about that I've I've it's a narrative that you find often when you're talking about uh, Silicon Valley versus Detroit or versus Tokyo or who, who, where whatever kind of narrative you want to construct where it's technology companies against these established companies that build mechanical objects. Um, it's very, very common in Silicon Valley for an idea to receive funding without necessarily a proof of concept. You invest it. I believe we've talked about this before where you just invest a ton of money. And at the end, you know, you, you're not necessarily out anything more than the cash you've burned uh, on people and ideas and their time. Whereas if you're a car company, you have to do testing, you have to build physical objects, you have to employ engineers, you have to, I mean, you're employing engineers in Silicon Valley as well, but you have to create tooling. You have to uh, call on a vast number of manufacturing uh, skills and requirements and whatnot to make something a reality. Um, and I think that w- when those two approaches hit head on, there's some, there's a harsh reality check for people who think that they can homebrew a system that's going to go out on a highway and potentially take out a school bus. I don't get it. I mean, it should be, maybe something like this should be allowed. We're allowed to, we're allowed to make our own uh, beer in our tubs. And well, wait, uh, you're allowed <laughs> to make beer in your tub. You're not allowed to take that, that beer could to, be the, dangerous. to the corner store and then sell it to anybody just by putting a duct tape sticker on it that says beer from my tub. <laughs> like tub beer. As long um, as your autonomous car drives on your own property. <laughs> yeah, that's totally cool. NHTSA doesn't have a problem with that. They do have a problem with you unleashing your autonomous car downtown or on I-95 or wherever. I know it kind of sounds like I'm ranting, but... Um, no, you're right. You're 100% right that uh, you, have to, you have to be... Cars are, cars are giant hulking things that move very quickly. They're murder, uh, we- they're murder <laughs> weapons. They're they can be, and they have been described as that in the past. For certain situations, yes, you're right, and they have to be done. Things like this has has to be done responsibly. And uh, and what's weird is, you know, even before uh, the Nitsa letter, the guy uh, Hots Hots, I don't know how you say it, 
apologize if I'm disrespecting him, but um, he had a blog where he was talking about, you know, well, maybe it's not a fully autonomous system after all. Uh, maybe it's 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 not autonomous. Maybe it's just an advanced driver assistance system. And I think that at that point, when he started hedging his bets and realizing that you're kind of making a product that already exists in the market on a lot of new cars, what's your market going to be really? You're going to sell this to people who um, have a 10-year-old car who want to add blind spot detection or collision avoidance. I think that's a small margin market, and I think you're going to be up against companies like Garmin, who, if they decided to step in and do it, they've got the kind of distribution and manufacturing where they could just obliterate you overnight. Yeah, they've got the resources to do it, and the the so much so much information as to how people drive. And, yeah. Uh, instead that, of yeah. that's my Shark Tank <laughs> observation of why maybe he stopped doing this. But I will say this: he did not like uh, Elon Musk. They did not get along. These two quote-unquote players i keep saying quote-unquote i'm gonna stop saying that these two players in the uh atomic- did you did you just kate did you make air quotes instead because i couldn't see that no my, my hands are totally occupied but um <laughs> musk and hotsat have had some very public twitter spats and whatnot uh, about their 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 philosophies you could say about autonomous driving so it's a contentious issue amongst uh, the geniuses who are bringing it to to market Autonomous driving, man. It's going to be happening. Can't, aren't you excited? No, I'm done with it. I have no interest in... Uh, look, I think the problem is that they're going to tell us that we have to take our fun cars off the road. I, I'm not <laughs> going to say I have no interest in autonomous driving because I do, but I have no enthusiasm for it. It's not something that I aspire to have in my own life, and I have no use for it. So, I mean, it, it's like I'm not a minivan enthusiast. I, there are some great minivans out there, and there are some that I like very much. I don't aspire to own one. And I think it's the same way with autonomous driving. I mean, I'm sure there's going to be some great systems. It's going to, you know, revolutionize driving in the same way that minivans. Actually, it's going to go way beyond what minivans did in the <laughs> 80s. No, but they, I mean, minivans wiped out an entire segment of the automotive market almost. They killed wagons. I'm and still then, dri- I'm driving a wagon this week. They're plenty great. Yeah, you're driving a wagon that's sold like 100 examples a year. <laughs> yes. Okay, I so let's, be, let's be real about that. But um you know, when SUVs came along, they, bl- they obliterated minivans to a large degree, and there's far fewer than we used to have. And autonomous cars are going to obliterate driver- human drivers. That's just not, how it is. Not before crossovers kill sedans. Well, that, that's Ooh. that's happening now, too. I mean, and that harkens back to our Volvo conversation earlier, um, where you have a, a really, really, really great um, SUV. Um, and then they also came out with a really, really great sedan, a large sedan that's based on the same platform. But no one's buying large luxury sedans anymore. So is Volvo on the cusp of transitioning to an SUV-only lineup in North America? I can see that happening. That's on, that's Mitsubishi's uh, play in, in North America. Well, Mitsubishi's play in North America is we're going to sell a 10-year-old car and hope that you don't notice. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the, no the- much the nope. Outlander in the the Outlander in the RVR or the Outlander Sport, um, it's not a ten year old car. No, no, no. But the cars are the sedans are. Oh right, yes, the sedans the Lancer, are. Yeah, so you're right. They're, they're done putting, with the Lancer. They've killed it. Well, they're putting the development dollars into the SUVs, as you pointed out, and and the cars are, they're being sold based on warranty and price. It, that's fine if that's how you want to do it. I don't have a problem with it, but it's you know it does not bode well for your future if you're not willing to invest in it. Okay, and I mean we've walked away from that. We've we've glanced away from what we were talking about which is uh the, the the paradigm shift the way that i'm using buzzwords now the way are that you doing air quotes too when you know of course not my hands too are very occupied um the way that autonomous cars are going to change the 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 i don't know just the industry but i think the world i think there's there's really big there's really big uh, uh like what's the word i'm looking for now 
effects to this to this technology. Well, of course, and I mean even beyond um, even beyond uh, passenger cars. If you look at transportation industry, uh, autonomous trucks, how many jobs are going to be lost mm-hmm. um, for over the road truckers? I mean, that's an entire profession that will be wiped out. Well, we'll have to wait and see what happens, but. Um and, you know, speaking of waiting and seeing and, and looking well, into the future, why well, don't we I, talk about what's, what's happening next? Huh? Just, just before we, 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 do, we, we transition to what's happening next, I want to say that um, a few hundred years ago, Dutch workers who felt their livelihood threatened by automation and machinery threw their wooden shoes called sabots into the machines uh, to stop up the works. And that's how we got the word sabotage. Really? Yes. So make of that what you will <laughs> when we're Thank talking you. about autonomous trucks. Uh, out on so the highway. If our readers haven't, or sorry, if our listeners haven't learned anything, that's the one thing, the one factoid that they can get out of this podcast, right? That's, I mean, you know, take from this what you will. Uh, it's totally open ended. We don't have any kind of. Um, we're certainly not encouraging you to sabotage autonomous cars to keep human beings employed. That's totally not what I was saying. And quite frankly, I'm not advertising that uh, this is an educational podcast in any way or form. <laughs> yeah, if you learn something today, it's entirely by accident. It's 100% by accident. And mainly because Ben wanted to talk about sabotage. Indeed. It's a fun word. Anyway, what you were saying. Uh, we're, I think we're done. I think we're, we're done scooping up this week's um, events and, and cars. I think you're right. So why don't you tell me what you're doing next week? We talked about it on the previous podcast, but I'm going to um, Las Vegas to drive the Camaro 1LE and also drive some modified Camaros and Cruises at Spring Mountain and potentially swing by SEMA for at least a few hours. Uh, SEMA, Specialty Equipment Manufacturers Association, they have their giant show in Vegas next week. It's a huge, ridiculous show. I've I've been a couple times, and in, over the course of two or three days, I think I saw 40% of the show. That's how big it is. It is massive, and uh, it's very weird. There's all sorts of neat stuff going it's on there. It's super weird. You get people from all over the world bringing their products to – the idea is it's a trade show it's not really a media show um but they want to get their products to suppliers and distributors and whatnot so you have anyone who has an idea thinks hey this is the next new automotive product uh they bring it there but the reality is you get 600 people trying to sell you the same navigation system you get 2,000 people selling rims that look identical um the coolest part of SEMA is the individual people who bring the cars that they build because it's a big hot rod show as well because of the custom car industry is a huge buyer for these products and uh outside at SEMA, out front, you have all these cool cars that people are just parking and leaving there for the duration of the show. And the creativity and the the hot rods, the customs, it's, it's, it's astounding. It's my favorite part of the show, just seeing how people express themselves in metal and, and glass. And sometimes they do things that are really cool, and other times they do things that um, are very creative. Let's use that <laughs> word. Well, cool is in the eye of the beholder. I mean, we well, can't... Sh- you can't all drive an FRS, you know. So. Or a Datsun, or a gorgeous uh, Cadillac, or a. Where does your? How's your Ranger doing? And your beautiful Subaru. The Ranger. The Ranger cool is for cars. sale. If anyone wants the Ranger, it's for sale. Oh no! All-wheel drive, stick, no, stick four, shift. Four-wheel drive, Sam. Four-wheel drive with low-range gearing. Ooh. Stick shift V6. Anyway, this is not. Call, this is, call now. You know, this is not, a great deal. You know what's funny is so this is totally off topic, but um, in the part of the town, in the part of Quebec where I grew up, it's very close to the Vermont border, and we get a lot of American radio stations. And there's a, uh, on Sunday mornings on a radio station out of Derby, Vermont, or Newport, I believe, they have this call in show where basically they read the classifieds. <laughs> like people, or people call in and they say, Yeah, I've got a tractor for sale. This is my phone number, and this is what I want. Or I've got these buckets for sale. And it's like, that for three hours it's just okay, people who so call it 
we're not doing that. It's right amazing, now. but it, you made me feel like that's what we were doing. Okay. Well, what I wanted to say is that I look forward to hearing your report from SEMA, what you found and what you see, and how you're going to describe it on this podcast without images. I want. I can't wait for you to, to describe what you see. And and I believe that you're you're driving uh, Lincoln's uh, next great hope next week. Yes, the Lincoln Continental, which is a, a luxury sedan that somehow has already gone on sale without uh, the press needing to drive it. And I'm very excited to see uh, why they made that decision. Uh, I have some guesses, but um, I'm very excited to see what they're doing. This is going to be the, the top of the end sedan for the for the brand. And um, you're right; you called it the Great Hope for the for the company. This is where I think we're going to start to see something something unique and um, something that will trickle down to the rest of the brand. So let's see what they've got up their sleeves. Well, I'm excited to hear about that, too. I believe I said that the, when we talked previously that I'm very curious about that car. So next week's going to be a lot of fun. We'll have a lot of stories. And we hope that you guys tune in and listen to our ramblings yet again. Yeah, that'd be great. So uh, I'm going to start off. I'm going to say bye, everyone. And thanks for listening. And I just want to remind everybody, if you want to talk to Sammy on Twitter, his handle is at Sammy underscore Ha, H-A. And if you want to get a hold of me, it's at Hunting Benjamin. And if you want to listen to us um, a little bit more frequently uh, or you want to be notified of every time that we release a podcast, we're now on iTunes and Google Play Music in addition to um, SoundCloud, which is SoundCloud. where everything is hosted. So yeah, uh, look up on Unna- Unnamed Automotive Podcast and you will find us and hit that RSS button and subscribe to the feed and everyone will be happy. Especially me, but especially Ben. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Take care. <laughs>